Hi and welcome to another episode of Wine and Wisdom. I'm Thomas Lehuang and you're listening to the TL podcast where knowledge is shared and no one takes themselves too seriously. What's this bottle here? What's this bottle here? Mm, oh, prepare to be amazed. All right. So I was I was starting to be concerned because I've run out of venues to buy quality wine from because we've drunk our way through most of them. Well done, boys. Congratulations. Yeah. But uh, stumbled into Dan Murphy's at uh, Hornsby today in the, in Westfield there. Never been there before. And the first sign that caught my eye was cellar release and they've got a whole wall of specially cellared yeah. wines, yeah. which... We're not privileged enough to have on the Central Coast, apparently. Are you serious? Gosford Do you have a game. dance? Do you have a dance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've and got a whole wall of um, well. uh, international stuff, but unless I haven't found it, which I highly doubt, the celery loose section. <laughs> and I, the guy had to come and ask me if I was okay because I'd picked up 17 different bottles and put them back. <laughs> I've spread COVID to everyone. But that's where all your uh, the, the real aged wines were. And there's a lot of nice reds there, but I was, you know, it's been a bit warm, a bit muggy, and I'm sick of drinking red, to be honest with you. So I thought, we'll bring a shardy, as I'm famous for. So it was funny because Thomas went Margaret River as well. So what I have is a Xanadu Reserve Chardonnay from Margaret River, dated 2011. Two Chardonnays. This is going to be interesting. Ooh. Ten years old, boys, which should be just about perfect, one would think. There's a couple of bad All right, let's there. try it, mate. Let's do it. So today we're discussing Churchill, yeah. who would ask you to put some poison into <laughs> my uh, oh, look at that color. my glass. Oh, look at that, because I would want to drink it. Look at that. Color. Okay, That's just uh, just by the color, I think he's one. Well, mate, the first one wasn't a lot to live up to. I'll get oh. to Cheers, boys. Cheers. Oh, smell Cheers, that. Big dog. Tea. Oh, I'm interested. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> oh that's pretty good, mate. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's that's uh, good. sound the bell, game's over. That's ding ding. Right, that's one that you need to share with some of the team members. Yeah, yeah. how good is that's, that? That's very good. Well, we so we we are talking today, which is oh. someone that you pick, Winston oh. Churchill. I had to pick. First of all, let me ask you, why did you pick him? Oh. So forever and a day since I was a kid, I've been uh, into war history. War history, I won't say buff, but. It's always something that's interested me. For for years, my thing as a kid was I was always going to join the army. So I've always had a knowledge around the Great Wars and the people involved in them. And obviously when you're talking World War II, especially Winston Churchill's name pops up quite often. But what really brought it about in the last two years was actually COVID. I remember when, when COVID first happened and how badly everyone was handling it from a leadership standpoint. I mean that internationally, nationally, yeah. inside our own businesses, inside our own network. I, I started thinking, when was the last time the world faced something so drastic and who were the leaders at the time Yeah, and what's happened to the leaders of men? Like Back in the World Wars, we had leaders of men, people that you could knight a country and, and convince 500,000 people to run out of a trench to get shot. So um, I started looking more into the leaders of around the war times, and obviously Winston Churchill was someone who featured prominently. Yeah. I chose him not because he's a hero or an inspiration, but he was a leader of men, and there's so much we could learn from that in everything we do in our life. He, he was fallible. He was very fallible. Yeah. He had a lot of issues. 
but he managed to galvanise a country that was about to be overrun by the Germans. Yeah. And he will live on in history because of that. But Yeah, I like it. To give you an idea, before he was 25 years old, which was when he won his first seat in Parliament at 25, he didn't become Prime Minister until he was 65, but yeah. at 25 he got his first seat in Parliament. Before then he'd already fought... He'd fought in four wars. Yeah. He'd published five books. He'd written 215 newspaper and magazine articles. He participated in the greatest cavalry charge of the last 50 years when he was part of the 21st Lancers in the Battle of Omdurman. And he'd already been taken POW and escaped in the Boer War by the time he was 25. So the guy wasn't an average human. And by the time he did get into Parliament, he'd fought in more uh, countries... The only person who fought in more continents than him was Napoleon. There you go. And he'd seen more campaigns than any sitting general, any general in army history. And so he had very good military breeding, from what I know, understand. He went to, what is it, Sandhurst? Yep, yeah, he went to Sandhurst, Sandhurst Military College. That's where most of the royal royals go as well. He did come from an aristocracy originally. Yeah. From a very wealthy family. Yeah. Apparently he's loosely related to Lady Diana through the Spencers. Oh, wow. Lineage... Anyway, so he had yeah. So he he had all these accolades, and he yeah. had and there's 57 different books about him. So you can find out all the good and find out all the bad. But as I wanted to know 12 months ago, how he managed to galvanise a, a country, yep, and keep them together when they were on the brink of defeat. You know, I think it's interesting. Like as you said, he's up until the age of 25, he had done so much, and then went into parliament. I think it's interesting to look at his life before he went got into it as a prime minister. Through Gallipoli, he was actually in charge of the navy, and yeah, the well, he overrode some of the navy generals, and the Dardanelles was pretty much his fault, right? So, which he learned a lesson from, and never questioned a military figure right. again in and, World War Two. And that's and that's where I was yeah. coming coming from was that he learned a lot of lessons leading up to becoming prime minister that served him well being prime minister. One of them was, and we'll probably talk more on it later, was being able to rally the ordinary people against an enemy. And he really got the English to understand that, you know what, these are the Germans and they've been the bastards for a long time, right? The Nazis, I won't say the Germans, the Nazis. And he really understood the, the common man and how to rally them against his cause. So I'll give you a timeline and then we can delve deep into Absolutely. all the bits Go you're fine. So here's a guy, he was born two months premature. He's involved in three car crashes and two plane crashes. At 19, he jumped off a 30-foot bridge and was in a coma for days and then had mental incapacity for weeks. He nearly drowned with his brother in a lake. He had four serious bouts of pneumonia. He was stabbed as a schoolboy. He had multiple heart attacks. In World War One. he had no less than 30 trips out into no man's land in between the trenches to collect injured and dead. And he died at 91 years of age. <laughs> Here's us trying to get fit and healthy and worrying about what might go on in life. But he's also a guy at 16 who is quoted as saying this at 16 years of age, all right? And then I'll hand over the floor to what you guys have found. So he said to his best friend at 16, I can see vast changes coming over in our peaceful world, great upheavals, terrible struggles, wars such as one cannot imagine, and I tell you London will be in danger. London will be attacked and I shall be very prominent in the defence of London. I see it into the future. This country will be subjected somehow to a tremendous invasion, by what means, I do not know, but I tell you, I shall be in command of the defences of London and I shall save London and England from disaster. Dreams of the future are blurred, but the main objective is clear. I repeat, 
London will be in danger and in the high position I shall occupy, it will fall to me to save the capital and save the empire. Wow. This was a guy from the day of birth believed he was destined to save the world. Now, coincidentally, the day he was asked to be Prime Minister was May 10, 1940, which was the day Hitler started Blitzkrieg against the West. Yeah, the Blitzkrieg started. So this is a guy who believed from birth that he was destined to save the world and somehow, in some way, has ended up being a massive part of that history. Yeah, well. So how'd you go, T.O.? What'd you find? Listen, I did not want to have a look at his history. I wanted to have a look at some of the defining moments about him. And one of the things is, as a young child, he was labelled as a failure. He didn't do well at school at all. And he used to get into all sorts of trouble. And to me, I think one of the defining moments he had was being put into boarding school and writing to his mother all the time about, Mum, I'm so unhappy, take me out of here. But she was too busy with uh, her husband, with socialising, that she they only actually visited him in boarding school once a year. And to me, it's, it became somehow reading through some of his stuff that maybe that's where one of the defining moments where uh, Sir Winston Churchill would develop depression very easily throughout his life. Every time he had some kind of failure, such as being, being fired of the government after the failures in, in Dardanelles or whenever he'd lose even the prime ministership after he had helped Europe win the war, all of these moments, every single time he would just go into heavy depression and that's when he would start doing, take on painting. He took on even building walls. He, he actually loved masonry, you know. And so what I learned from that is as a parent, if you have children, it is important for you just to pay attention to how your children are feeling. Because some of the things that you may not do now, may be convenient to you, may actually shape them the way that they are, in good and in bad. But what if we can just do that in good rather than in bad? Yeah. Right? So that was a defining moment. Uh, I think that the, the other defining moment for him was the fact that he adored his father. I, I can only imagine him putting the fact that he was put into a school he didn't like, with people he didn't like way before that. He was free to run around the house, break glasses if he wanted to, because he was a kid within a very rich family. And he wanted to be like his dad. And what he did was to study all his dad's speeches. He used to collect them and collated them. And what transpired from that is his ability to deliver great speeches. Yes. And I, I looked at some of his speeches, and the way I feel he does with his speeches is that he always starts with the negative. He brings you down in thinking there's doom coming up, and then he takes you, you back. Yep. It, it's, it's a beautiful way of doing speeches, which is a little bit like Cicero, uh, back in the days of Julius Caesar, had the capacity to... Take the crowd, go with the crowd, and say, yeah, I agree with you, and then turn the crowd around. So they always had that same kind of thing. So I, I think it was a defining moment because he had made the decision based on what his father was, and, and somehow his father being aloof from him brought him that when he totally rejected his mom for the need to be as good, if not better, than his dad. Mm. And, and you know the, the level of in which he wanted to be like his dad, that he predicted his own death. He died the same day 
as his dad 70 years apart. Wow. But he always thought he was going to die young because his dad died at 42, so he was living and talking as if he was going to die and that, at a young age. And that may have spurred him on to do the things that he did because yeah. he was like, let's live life to the fullest while I've got it, while I can. That may have inspired him to live that sort of... Uh, yeah, but it, he was life. a man of action, mate. Because it, when he, at 19, his father found out that you know, he was no good at school. And his father really was an aspiring... I mean, was a great politician. And, I mean, mind you, it, he, he stuffed himself and, and got himself out of parliament and, and, and died pretty young. Maybe of depression too. But the, the, the big thing that his father did was to enroll him into the military school. And that's yeah. where he loved... And, and I think it was another defining moment. That's where he realized yep. his love for war. Yep. If you notice, Strategy. he was never a prime yep. minister for peace. Mm-hmm. Hence, he lost the election after the war because he didn't know what, how to tackle peace. But how did he regain the prime ministership a few years after was mainly by calling Russia the nation that was going to get us into a cold war. Yep. You know, so, so going anti-fascism and being a warrior really was something that spurred him on. It's something that helped deeply, though, because there's, there's a big school of thought from what I've read out there that Churchill was a warmonger. He loved war, as you said, and he wanted war. But from my readings, it's more so that because he'd been in so much of it, he understood it from a point of view that no That's other politician from, yeah. could come. He was the first politician, both publicly and privately, to uh, be aware and understand of what was coming with Hitler because yep, he'd absolutely. seen it fighting on the Pakistani border with the Muslim extremists. He'd seen the same traits. He was the first British politician to publicly and privately sympathise and empathise with the German Jews yep. for knowing what was going on. So in that way, and people construed that, rightly or wrongly, to say this guy wants war. Did he want war or was he just have an understanding of what was coming, whether he liked, whether he liked it or not? He understood nations. So it could come from a, yeah. a, a point of view. And that's, as I said, we look at the people who are leading us now. Have they ever been through anything? Are they leading from any sort of experience? That's or, right. And that's what fascinated me with this guy. How was he able to... Because Britain nearly lost the war. If, if Germany didn't attack Russia and then declare war on, war on the USA, Britain were losing the war. But he somehow managed to keep that whole country believing they were winning the war. Yeah. And that is, some, that is a skill... We talk about what some of our leaders did when COVID happened and went to water and what our staff saw and what were we going in there as if everything was okay and reassuring people or where we were scaring the shit out of them. He, yeah, he but he started by preaching the uh, negative. So I think long before the Americans got involved, he actually said to the population, much sweat is going to be wasted, much oil spent. There's going to be a lot and a lot of uh, people killed. He actually said these things. And one of the things I really liked it is when he was in private, he actually cried to one of his general, apparently, saying, you know, I, I, can't, I can't believe all of these people believe me. And, and yet they don't know how much blood is going to come from them following me. And I personally think he was a man who, of action. He loved action. Wherever there was no action, he would find a way of instigating it. So even when he lost the prime ministership after the war, he st- man, it took him a little while after of painting before he started going on tour with Truman in America because by that time Roosevelt had died, so Truman had taken over. 
And twice, actually, he used the Americans as a social media of the time, if you will. Reignite to, his to, popularity. Yes. yes. And it was an amazing thing. He said, this guy, wh- when you l- read his quote, never, 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 never give up. That man is truly the epitome of that. Yep. Never give up. It's he, the unshakable belief. So he, during the Second World War and a few other wars, he was a, a war correspondent to a lot of the papers, and that's why he wrote so many articles and the books that he wrote on war. He became very skilled at writing and, and public speaking. And that, I think, as you said, was an accumulation of reading his father's articles and all the practice that he had was reporting on the war. He's famous for his memory. Right. Yeah. So, as you said, he came into politics when he was 25. And there was a two-year period... He lost that his first election. He tried to get in 21 and lost. So there was, there was a two-year period from when he first got into politics until he actually became Prime Minister... There's a two-year period that he actually was not a politician. Um, they call it the wandering years. And during that time, he was still writing letters to all the different ministers of all different areas telling them what they should be doing. he became actually quite hated, despised by people in his own party because of putting his nose into their business where he wasn't wanted. But he wasn't a man of his own party. Do you know that he was he started as a conservative? Yeah, he changed. And then went, went to the liberal, liberal and what? then came back to the conservative. He wore a okay. few different jerseys, didn't he? And so he, the, he's the one who came up with the line, anyone can rat, but it takes a certain amount of ingenuity to re-rat. <laughs> <laughs> to, to do it twice. So, and, it, and during those times, he was that's when he was writing a lot. And as you said, he was the only person in all of England warning everyone of the Nazi militarization. And when they, it come to fruit, the war had been going for eight months before he became prime minister. So when he stepped in and became prime minister, they were like, well, this guy foresaw all this. And he's gone from someone very hated, sticking his nose into everyone's business, to into a position where he understood the common man. He was checking up on his um, different departments, making sure they're doing the right thing. So he went from someone who was hated in politics to a very successful prime minister with the war, with the yeah. war education. Led by example, as Thomas said, he's a man of action. He, he landed in France six days after D-Day. Everyone told him he was mad. The rest of Parliament were trying to stop him. And he said, no way, no how. Going. They're actually, his closest people were laughing about it, saying good luck stopping him. I just think many, many, many lessons could be brought forward to 2021 on the way that we interact with, with our people and the way we, we lead. He... He's a real leader, yeah. Like he was very. He was mean, very not going. Per, not a perfect human. No, no, absolutely no, not. Not a perfect human, but a leader. He was very going there and get amongst the boys too. He was like, I want to be amongst the soldiers. I want to see them. I want to shake their hands. I want to see them. And they were actually. He was shot at by enemy fire on one of his tours because he went so close to the the border that the other guys wouldn't have been able to see who they're shooting at. But there was bullets was past their head and self made too. That's one of the things yep. I love. He, yes, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say self-made uh, coming yeah, from an aristocracy. <laughs> I wouldn't say yeah, self-made. Yeah, but his dad died at 42, gave him nothing. But he nothing. still comes from privilege. In he England, had the privilege, name. Yeah, privilege accounts for a lot. I mean, so... But he still did drive himself... Didn't um, get to financial solvency till he was 53. Well, there you go. Okay. But he is another thing. He's quite polarising figure. Yes. Gallipoli. Yep. Screwed it up big time. He's... It's fault. He, how many hundreds how many of lives, thousands? Absolutely. Yeah? So, how do you look at that? We've let's say we here live in Australia. In terms of his decision, even though I get it, if it wasn't for his big decision, we might be speaking German right now. Well, and, then, and that's it. 
we said before when we were reading the Stoic, we said, your defeats teach you something for the future. Okay, yeah. And because he maybe lost those and made those wrong decisions in Gallipoli, suited him well then to take advice properly yeah. in World War Two. He had a quote along those lines, yep. I'm going to paraphrase because I didn't write it down, but it's, should I have done nothing mm, mm, mm. less for making all those failures or, or something very similar to yeah. that. So he, he knew he'd fucked up a lot. Yeah. He knew he'd made lots of mistakes. And he wore it. He what thought, he should he die having done nothing or, or having made... Well, he was a salesman, mate. He said, yeah. if it wasn't for that action, maybe there would have been two or three million dead. Yeah. It's not bad, right? 250,000... Yeah. No, everyone makes mistakes, and I suppose... We no, only 250,000 lives. No, but... That's what I mean. And, and everyone's up there and Andrew's now for 800 people dying in the nursing homes in Victoria. So I guess we've all got to check ourselves when we're throwing so much candy, but then we're talking about one of the great leaders of all time who led 300,000 people to their deaths. So, But does less of a man have that failure, have that massive failure, and yeah. top himself or, you know, never go into hiding? Because less of I know if I'd sent 300,000 people to die in a fuck-up, I, I don't know if I'd be running for Prime Minister... 15 years later, you know, like... That's true. Here's another thing. We, we're studying the, the, the Stoics, I mean, and this is a question I ask a lot of people uh, quite often, and I even ask um, Matthew earlier, how do you know you, you're leading a good life or you're living a good life? Let's have a look now, just for a second. Is he a good man? Is he a great man? And how do we define it? Because looking at his family, he had a son who amounted... Not much. He was uh, the queen actually wanted to give him a title that I think the parliament or, or, or people around the queen objected because upon his death his son was going to take it over and then they didn't want his son to have that title. He had I think a daughter who committed suicide. He had a daughter who died at the age of two. So I, I can't really use that. One actually was quite balanced. So how can such a great man be? Is is that success? be investing everything in one field and then having his private life and, and his children not being looked after. I'm calling great leader in tough times, not, not great human. I didn't, it, no, no, I'm asking yeah. now. So, so uh, in, in That comes down to what we speak about. One of our life qualities is balanced life. Right. And I think uh, to be in that situation and to be politically driven as he was, I don't think you can have a balanced life. And I think back in those times there was a different sense of family than there is today. So is Our understanding of family today is completely different to what it was back then. Mm -hmm. For men specifically, right. Right. they were go to provide and go do whatever you need to do and so forth. And so did then, going back to again, the Stoic, the greed and ambition that we talked about. Here's a bloke who said at 16 he was going to save the world. Prophetically or woo-woo-wah-wah, -wah, however you want to say it, that's what he said. It affected his family life, yes. That ambition or that unshakable belief that I am going to save Great Britain one day, it was going to have consequences, wasn't it? And you can look at it this way. He could have a great family life and we could all be speaking German, like you said before, right? So... Where do you, what do you say? What's your opinion? I don't know. I, I, for me, uh, you know my opinion. I, I think that for me, a human being must, must stand on every uh, door that he opens. If you open up the uh, door called family door, well, you have responsibility. If you only open the door of your destiny at si the age of 16 and that's all you want, then just do that. But I think that if you open doors and you're not living up to those responsibility that you have opened, then I don't know. I can't really gauge you as a great man. 
I, I can gauge you, yes, as a man who managed to get the Americans and the Soviet to be at the same table, even though I think the American to the table was uh, pure luck, that if Japan had stuffed up with Pearl Harbor, I don't know where the America would have been in, right? Because he had tried for quite a few years. So, yeah, okay, you may say that history is also made of luck or, or stuff up. In that case, I probably would say stuff up. But when we're talking about human beings and the quality of a man, I, I like to look at everything. I think I like to look at your balance sheet. It is not enough for you to tell me that you're doing great in sales. I also want to have a look at your assets, whether you're not spending too much, whether you're not having a profit and loss that is so skewed that it doesn't matter how, how much profit you bring in, you are going to be a loss overall. Uh, I think that that's the overall picture of a human being I like to see. I think it's hard to know without being there, but from what I have been able to gather, he made no secret of the fact that he was a lucky bastard in that so many things fell his way. Like he, As I read out before, he should have been dead a hundred times yeah, over. But yeah. And even to the war, I mean, he's, the quote I've got from the book was his greatest duty was to prevent the British people from realising they were losing the war and he, no one was better at it than him. And he managed to keep them with a level of hope and unity until he got saved by Germany attacking Russia and then by them declaring war on the US. The, the thing is here, if says if Britain had fallen in 1940, America wouldn't have been able to join the war because the Germans and the Italian army and the British na sorry, navies would have pounded the shit out of the eastern seaboard of America if they had to try to go to war. They wouldn't have been able to do it. So... His luck or fortune or keeping England going just long enough for Hitler to fuck up and attack Russia pretty much saved the world because if yeah. America doesn't come into the war, yeah. there's no win in the war. Yeah. I think he had an undeniable belief that, oh, that luck happened because I've known since I was a child I was going to save the world, so nothing's going to happen to me. But he, I don't think he, he had a, an ego about it. I think he had a humility where he went on, yeah. yeah. I think the that for our, sales, for our salespeople, they, there's always a lesson. Uh, to me, the lesson is that every man and woman has got defining moments. Maybe not one, maybe sometime many defining moments. And I hope that salespeople really and leaders actually take those defining moments and are willing to grab the bull by the horn and, and, and go for it. But you know, it's very, very hard for England having escaped now the annihilation by the German yeah. Nazi to say, all right, we're all in. And let me go and negotiate, uh, you know, with the Soviets. Uh, and I think that if we were just to look at our life and the world of selling, all we need to look at is always be ready for fight. Always be ready to grab opportunities and run with it. Don't wait until things are perfect. Yeah. And, and secondly, I think what I like about what he's done is that he wanted a better place. He wanted a better world. And all of his actions were there. You know, looking into this, I know I, until Cameron said Winston Churchill, I never really looked into the guy except yeah. for watching the movie years and years ago. I thought everyone knew where he was, but I've I spoken knew, to I a know few who he is, under obviously. 30s this week who had no idea. I'll, I'll tell you something <laughs> I was surprised with it, which really hit home for me. There's two sayings that he had, which I really, well, wow. One was about fear. Fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. And I thought that was amazing. But the last one apparently was the last words on his deathbed. Just before he passed away, he said, I am born with it all. So everything you need, you're born with. And I thought that for me was amazing that 
we all strive and achieve and want to go for more for greatness. And he's saying that everything he needed, he was born with. Yeah. And he was one of the most prominent political figures in history. It ties back into what we were talking about. The, the Stoics, Stoics exactly right. Understand mate. what you've got at your disposal. And that's and that I thought that was such a great saying. I am. What I, about what about the um, the myth? What about the fake news about uh, Fleming and and him? That I don't know. What no? Fill me in. If you go on the net, there's tons and tons of stories about how the son of a very wealthy man was drowning. A farmer's boy saved him. And the father of the son actually sent his son for an education. And that person ended up creating the penicillin who actually cured the prime minister. And the prime minister turned out to be many years later the son of that man who sent Alexander Fleming to medical school. <laughs> Re- look at it. I didn't tonight, come across that and, bit. and you will see so many of those stories. Right. You know, And it's just a story that even Alexander Fleming uh, was writing about and laugh about it. So I, I laughed about it because I thought, hold on, we're talking about fake news now and, and it's going to be the, nec- the next thing that we do, we're talking about. But, mate, even back in those days, the myths and the story and the fake news, they're crazy, aren't they? Hasn't it, that gone on since... They dot though. The turn yeah. of the century, mate. No, no, not no. even yeah, but the turn yeah. of civilization. Yeah, yeah, the beginning the of civilization. That's exactly right. The story right, of people. Proper, call it propaganda. The stories you hear call about. Call it, yeah. Yeah, the, absolutely. Oh, I heard mate. he killed three dragons with <laughs> one. Oh, it's just the aura of someone like with a lightning bolt from his ass. What know, did uh, we, William Wallace say? <laughs> and, and you know, somehow, some way, the aura of uh, Winston Churchill has evolved into creating penicillin. So good on him. <laughs> But it, yeah, it's interesting, Mate, isn't it? But to I'm, have that I'm, effect, I'm just impressed that he could jump off a thirty. How, how high was the bridge? Thirty foot. Thirty foot bridge and survive. Only just, but um, only just, just and survive. I think the, the the bigger lessons, like all those lessons you said, T, are massive, and people need to use those as defining moments and and take them and run. But how we react under pressure and under conflict, and when things aren't going well, like for leaders out there, I mean for everyone in their yeah. individual life. But that was the biggest lesson I got especially when COVID first happened. Now, we were basically at war with this invisible pandemic and with what the government were doing to us it. and all yep, that stuff. So it, I mate. started looking for wartime leaders. and That's fair enough. He, he had England convinced that they were winning that war, even though they were getting their ass kicked, for just long enough for them to win the war. And how yep. many of us did that in our offices and how many of us do that in our life? How many yeah. of us walk in in front of our kids, in front of our partners, in front of our team, in front of whatever and... and have the solution focus and the, and the mindset that, no, we're going to win this thing. Well said, mate. And that, I think, was most relevant over the last 12 months. Well done, man. Thanks, boys. Good choice, Talk mate. Talk soon. See you, boys. All right. Bye. Wine wins.